This is One-on-One's NFL Friday, bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is One-on-One's NFL Friday. Welcome to NFL Friday. Chris Venezia joined alongside me. We got Pat Burns, Joe Marie with some fantasy that's coming up later for somebody like me. Really need it. I'm competing for last place, the Sacco, in my fantasy league. We'll get to that later. We got Anthony Pusey. We got Sean Hainer in the back. But most importantly, what do we have on this Friday afternoon when we're we're sitting here getting ready to do this? We have an 11-win Arizona Cardinals team. And for those of you who missed, Pat, I know you're ready to jump in, but for those of you who missed the last time I was on, from Phoenix, Arizona, I'm fortunate enough this year to root for the best team, at least record-wise, in the NFL. But I have a lot of naysayers around here telling me that this Arizona Cardinals team is done, and one of those guys is sitting right next to me. Yeah, that's true, and congratulations to Arizona, first uh, 11-win team in the league. That's uh, that's certainly quite an accomplishment, especially with uh, their quarterback situation over the past few weeks, which just got, at least for the time being, a little bit worse last night. Um, a lot a bit worse. Yeah, um, <laughs> very quickly got a lot a bit worse. Look, there. I, I think it's obvious that their defense is is winning them games right now, and like I said, I I've been down on Arizona since Carson Palmer went down, and look, they they've they've won a couple games here. I thought the Kansas City win was impressive uh, last week to come back from that, and you know they go on the road against a St. Louis team that's upset a few teams and played a couple teams tough this year. They, they held Denver to seven points. You know, they've had some, they've had some pretty good wins and they go in there and they manage to get the job done despite losing another quarterback. I just, I still don't believe in them, especially with Seattle making the charge that they're starting to make here. Those two teams play each other next week. I just, I'm not even sure right now if Arizona's going to hold on to win this division. It, it, it's a good point, and, and the unbiased me agrees with a lot of what you're saying right there. Drew Stanton, just an update, um, what I heard earlier today, he got the MRI on the knee, it's a sprained right knee, they're saying it's a week-to-week type injury. Some people in the Cardinals camp, the Cardinals beat reporters, saying that he's going to be back to face Seattle when Seattle faces off against Arizona. That's going to be next Sunday. You have to say the Thursday night football game, and everyone's pretty pessimistic. Even Drew Stanton before the game kind of was like, look, we understand this is something we have to do. We have to play on Thursday. It's what NFL teams are having to do these days. Well, it's a good thing for Drew Stanton. It's a good thing for this Arizona Cardinals team because now he gets an extra couple days to rest. Yeah, that certainly helps him. And I think if there's any chance at all, I mean, he's obviously your best option at quarterback right now. Mm -hmm. And I think if there's any chance at all of him playing this week, you play him or next week, rather, against Seattle, because that is such an important game with Arizona losing to the Seahawks a couple weeks ago. I know this game is in Arizona, but if I'm the Cardinals... If I'm a Cardinals fan, I still don't feel all that great about it, the way Seattle's coming on right now. And Seattle wins that game. They're both sitting there with four losses. Seattle has the tiebreak, and all of a sudden, the Seahawks are in the driver's seat to win that NFC West. Things can turn just like that. So Arizona needs to take this game very, very seriously. And I think if if Drew Stanton has any chance of playing at all, if he's questionable, if they think there's any possibility of him going, he needs to go. That's true. And even if... 
Seattle winds up losing to San Francisco. The Cardinals beat San Francisco in Week 17 and win this division by a game. If the Cardinals lose both of their games in the regular season to the Seattle Seahawks, it's going to hurt the credibility of the Cardinals because everyone's going to have a very good point in saying the Seahawks team is better than this Cardinals team. I, I will try to rally the troops, uh, my troops, and the Cardinals' perspective side of things. <laughs> I'll say Drew Stanton being week to week is huge. I, say, I will point to the fact that since he's taken over for Carson Palmer, he's gone up against the Seahawks, he's gone up against the Chiefs, gone up against the Rams. Those are very difficult defenses when you're grabbing the reins of a team. And you have to go against those three defenses. That's not an easy task to do. It's not. I'll also point to the fact that, you know, he gets more reps. He should be getting better. Although in the Rams game, he's had, I mean, early on in that Rams game. It was his third straight game playing. He looked awful. I mean, it's not like anything's changed week to week. He's still throwing ducks. He's got weapons. He's got Fitzgerald. He's got the two Browns, Jerron and John Brown. He's got Michael Floyd, who's not having a great year, but still a good rep weapon. Ted Ginn Jr., John Carson, the tight end, is starting to play better. All these weapons, and he's still struggling to find these guys. For the Cardinals, it's weird. It's a team with the best record in the NFL at this very moment. And really, they you could make a point that they're eighth, ninth, tenth best team in the NFL. Yeah, I just, like I said, I was impressed by the win against Kansas City. The Seattle loss on the road, you know, I think, I know I saw that one coming, but this stretch, like you said, at Seattle, then they played at Atlanta, and then home against Kansas City at St. Louis. You know, they went 2-2 two and two over that stretch, which I don't think is all that bad considering what happened to them. You know, they had a little bit of wiggle room there because they got off to such a great start. That's gone now, but like I said, to me, they've been winning these games mainly with their defense, the ones that they have been winning, and... I just, I know it's early, still a little early to look ahead toward the playoffs, but the defense may, it may be there, but you're going to need scoring out of your offense to beat a Green Bay, to beat a Philadelphia, and with Drew Stanton as your quarterback, I just, I don't see that happening. Yeah, you look at the best teams in the NFC, like you're bringing up right there, high-powered offenses, the Eagles, even with the fact they have Mark Sanchez at the helm and they haven't looked as good as they did uh, with Foles, it's still a good offense. It's still an offense you're probably not going to be able to hold to six points. Same goes with Dallas when we have Tony Romo back there. Same goes with Green Bay, as you mentioned. You I mean, even the Saints or the Falcons. I mean, the Falcons played the Cardinals, right. and Falcons ran up the score against the Cardinals. Julio Jones went off in that game. He went off again last week, too. The best teams in the NFC have high-powered offenses. That's another thing that's going to hurt this Cardinals team. But the Rams also played on Thursday. I think maybe switch a little bit of a gear here and talk about the right. fact that you see a Rams team that hasn't finished above 500 since 2003, as our producer Sean Hainer pointed out. I feel for this Rams team in the sense that their defense is fantastic. Very, very they good. They have some good weapons, good young weapons at wide receiver, but they just don't have a quarterback. And it's if you want to talk about an example of how important the quarterback is in the NFL, you can just point to the St. Louis Rams and see the difference in this team being a playoff team and being, being what they are right now is the fact that Austin Davis and Sean Hill have been taking snaps for these guys. Right, and, I mean, frustration has to be mounting over what's gone on with Sam Bradford the past few seasons. It's not his fault, you know? I mean, he can't help getting injured the way he's gotten injured, but, I mean, I don't even know how big the sample size is with him with all these injuries that he's had. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he would be making a difference for them right now? Sam Bradford? Uh... I know it's so hard to tell. You can't really tell. I mean, you can't. He's had two ACL problems in both years. 
I mean, I would say yes in the sense that I've watched Sean Hill and Austin Davis played more than the average probably NFL player or NFL fan has just as a sense that I my team's in the NFC West that I root for. I'd have to say Sean Hill and Austin Davis are so freaking bad. I mean, Austin Davis just turning the football over. Sean Hill with the inability to throw a spiral in general. I would just say that Sam Bradford is a pretty big help, would be a help, would be an improvement over those guys. But at this point, a guy trying to recover from two ACL injuries, it's a great story if the former Sooner comes back and you know leads this team into the playoffs next year. But I really don't see it happening. I mean, I think the Rams need to move on. Yeah, I, that was going to be my next point. I, I wonder how much longer they give him before they finally decide, look, this isn't working. We need to go back to the drawing board. You know, he's 18-30-1 and one as a starter. Couple, Not very good. Couple that with you know, all these injury problems, it really doesn't add up to much. It's certainly not encouraging going forward here. And, you know, he's, what year did he get drafted? 2010, 2011? You know, I mean, you're looking at a pretty good sample size here now. And I think the Rams have got to start, at least start, taking a look at uh, moving on from him. Bradford started in 2010. Article on NFL.com says Bradford remains in the Rams' plans for 2015, but of course we're still far away. A lot could happen up until then. I mean, another thing that's going to hurt the Rams is that their record is at least good enough where they're not going to be in contention for, I mean, people are going to say Jameis Winston. I'm not as high on Jameis Winston, but a Marcus Mariota. Mariota's not going to fall no. to the St. Louis Rams. And I think if you look past Mariota, there's not a lot of guys I like in this draft that I would say, here's somebody to give the reins to. Here's a Polish guy in college that could potentially take over the reins as a first-year NFL quarterback. Right. At this point, they're kind of muddled in the middle, you know, as far as their draft status is concerned. And at that point, if you want to make a change right away, you look at free agency, you look at other teams, and at least right now, there isn't really a lot out there. No, there really isn't. And it's a difficult situation for the Rams. One final point, really NFC West heavy right now. I think the Rams next year will be better, and they could finish this year better than the San Francisco 49ers. But to me, I look at a San Francisco 49ers team that not all that long ago was playing in favor to win a Super Bowl. And I see this 49ers team next year and the year after and maybe even the year after that being in the gutter of the NFC West and possibly one of the worst teams in the NFC with what's going on with their head coaching position, with how Colin Kaepernick has fallen off the wagon, even Crabtree dealing with injuries, Vernon Davis isn't what he was, Frank Gore isn't getting any younger. This is a 49ers team that, to me, is just on its way down and on its way down pretty fast. Yeah, I, I agree with you. To me, the biggest the biggest concern right now is that head coach, that's going to be a big hole to fill mm -hmm. because I think Harbaugh is a good head coach. And he's going to leave San Francisco and get another job right away. And, you know, he was a lot of what turned kind of San Francisco around and made them into that Super Bowl contender that we've known them as over the past few years. And to see it fall this quickly, I mean, I know at this point he's part of the problem, but he's still a pretty good head coach. Mm -hmm. And I tend to think that at least right away, San Francisco isn't going to find a replacement immediately that's going to be any better. No, I really don't see him finding anybody like you're saying that's any better as well. Well, there's some other teams in the NFL that have there things are. that have things worse, a lot worse than the San Francisco 49ers, and one of them we're getting to right now. It's the New York Giants team. Boy, the Giants are bad. They're yeah. so 
freaking bad, man. I watched that Jaguars game. I know that wasn't last week. I know they won last week, but I can't stop going back to that Jaguars game. They actually had the NFL 30 on when I was with the roommates, big Giants fans, and I tortured them by making them watch that. It is just... I don't get it. The only reason to watch a New York Giants game is Odo Beckham Jr. There is no other yeah. reason to watch the New York Giants play, and I'm almost to the point... I'm No, not even Eli. Sean Hanner goes in my ear. Even even Eli Manning? What's there to watch with Eli Manning? He's got the arm strength of my little sister. I mean, it's tough right oh. now. I'm sorry, but Eli Manning, I know everybody's Goodness. giving me looks right now, but Eli Manning's a smart quarterback, and he's still a good quarterback, and hey, I sure as heck would love him in Arizona right now over somebody like Drew Stanton and Ryan Lindley, and he does have the rings, but he doesn't have the arm strength he once had. He really has no running back around him. Doesn't have an offensive line as well as Anthony Pusick points out. Everyone's quick to defend Eli, but, I mean, did you guys watch him play last year? I mean, I know he hasn't had a terrible season, but he hasn't been great this year by any stretch of the imagination. Can you tell me Eli doesn't have weapons? He has Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. I know it gets really thin after ODB, but still, I look at Eli Manning as somebody that's starting to slip on his way out, and it's getting close, and it might even be at the point when – this Giants team needs to look a little bit towards the future. Yeah, and I mean, the other excuse that, that people will make is, you know, the whole adjustment to a new offense, mm-hmm. this system. But even then, we saw it work for that three-game stretch end of September, early October, where it was really clicking and they looked really good. So the potential is there. It's just, you know, Eli hasn't hasn't realized it, I think, as much as people expect this year. And, you know, the excuses are starting to run out here. I'm with you. I think the excuses are starting to run out, too. But let's get a third opinion on this. Christian O'Hara does his weekly Giants report. I think we got that queued up. Let's see Christian's thoughts on his four-win Giants team. The New York Giants finally won a football game. After seven straight losses, Big Blue picked up a 36-7 win on the road over the Titans last Sunday. Two rookies were the stars of the show for the Giants on offense. Odell Beckham Jr. had 11 catches for 130 yards and a touchdown. His tremendous season continues for New York as he could very well end up winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. Running back Andre Williams was also stellar, rushing for 131 yards and a touchdown on 24 carries. The offense finally played a full 60 minutes and scored enough points to keep Tennessee well out of striking distance. Now, the Giants return home and will focus on beating Washington. Uncertainty at the quarterback position has been the theme for this last place team all year. However, Coach Coughlin is trying to tell his team to finish the season strong, regardless of the opponent. Like it or not, we're coming to the conclusion of the season. Finishing the game, finishing the way we intend to finish it, I think there's great carryover if you're talking about an entire season. And you really do isolate each game one at a time. New York also played well on defense last week harassing Zach Mettenberger into throwing costly interceptions. Marcus Kuhn even got in on the action with a fumble recovery ran back for a touchdown. The defensive line played one of their best games of the season. Jason Pierre-Paul was active all day, sacking Mettenberger twice and looking more like the dominant defensive force Giants fans were so accustomed to seeing in years past. Now, the defense will have to continue that stellar play against the Washington offense that has big playability with receivers like Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon. On the other side of the ball, New York will need to stay consistent and figure out ways to score touchdowns in the red zone. Establishing the run will be key in determining the success of the team on Sunday. I think the Giants will find a way to do all these things necessary to secure a victory. I like New York in this one, 31-17. With the Giants report, I'm Christian O'Hara, WFUV Sports.
I'm with Christian. I do think the Giants are going to win this game as well. But, boy, there's some bad games in New York market. The Giants, Redskins, you got the Jets. And I, w- I won't get to the Jets right now. I'll, I'll save the Jets for when <laughs> we get to the Jets. But the New York Giants going to get the Redskins and what may be the toilet bowl or one of the toilet bowls scheduled for this week. Yeah. I go back to the fact that one of the good things about this week is Odell Beckham Jr. is probably going to have a great game against this Redskins defense that's pretty poor, although it's a Redskins team that's just pretty poor. But I look to watching Odell Beckham this week, see how many points he can rack up for fantasy teams and how many ridiculous catches he can make. Besides that, is there really much else to watch? I mean, unless you're interested in the Redskins quarterback debacle, if that's something that tickles your fancy, if you like watching Jay Gruden take incredibly painfully uncomfortable questions during the week and then after they lose on Sunday. I don't know if any of you guys saw this, but on Sunday, Jay Gruden gets to his post-game press conference, and the first question is, Jay, have you lost control of this team? I mean, how bad is it when you walk up after an embarrassing loss five minutes after a reporter puts a mic in your face and says, have you lost this team? Did you? They played the Rams last week. Did you see what uh, what Jeff Fisher did uh, prior to the game? Fantastic. You heard about this? He sent out the six players that the Rams eventually acquired as a part of the uh, the trade in 2012 before the draft that the Redskins ended up using to to draft Robert Griffin. And, uh, hilarious. I, I thought it, I thought it was great. He sends out all six guys that were that were active for the game. Jeff Fisher does uh, that they got in that trade. Just insult to injury. It just keeps getting worse. I thought it was so funny. And I love the fact he didn't apologize. They asked, I'm surprised. Nobody asked him about it after the game. They asked him about it on Monday. Yeah. And he, he had no apologies for it. Man, he sh- I mean, he shouldn't. It was fantastic. A round of applause all around. Although, if the Redskins win, then maybe we're telling a different tale. But not only did yeah. he do it, but the, his Rams then dominated the Washington Redskins. So kudos to Jeff Fisher, both for the way his team played and for the way that he was able to kind of troll the Washington Redskins. And Sean Hainer gets in my ear. The producers back there are getting pretty chippy, and he's asking if it's a professional football move. Look, your team's got five wins going into that game. you got to find a way to motivate your teams before these games. And for Jeff Fisher, maybe he thought that was a way to motivate his team going into the Redskins game because – from last week, from two weeks ago, it was a Rams team. I know they weren't technically eliminated from the playoffs until Thursday. I mean, they were pretty much eliminated from the playoffs. For your head coach, you got to find ways to motivate your players, and it worked. His team seemed pretty motivated to play the Redskins. Yeah, and you get the sense that they're building something there, you mm-hmm. know? So he's, you know, he's coaching to win, even at a point in the season where it doesn't necessarily look good for this year. But, I mean, I'm optimistic, at least a little bit, about this Rams team going forward if they can figure out their quarterback situation. No, you know, no. good on Jeff Fisher for continuing to coach hard and trying to get his players to play hard. Exactly. Motivating his guys even this late in the year, even when technically they don't have a lot to play for in terms of postseason implications. I'm going to back up a little bit here. I made a comment about Eli Manning before the Giants report. Pat, uh, first, I guess I'll let you weigh in and, and give your take on Eli Manning because I was pretty harsh on Eli Manning. I'm not saying Eli Manning is a bad NFL quarterback in general. He clearly isn't. I'm just saying that you look at last year, you look at this year, I don't think he's got much left in terms of the future with the New York Giants. I don't think he's somebody want as the reins as your New York Giants quarterback two years down the line. I really think the leash is running thin for Eli Manning, and I think a look at his numbers this year, they're not bad, but they're not great, and I just don't think he's the guy. I think if you're a Giants team, you got to start looking ahead. Yeah, I mean, the guys can jump in the back and jump in on this too. I, I think what it, all I'll say is that 
you know, when an offense does as poorly as the Giants offense has, has done over the course of, you know, most of this year, a lot of the blame fairly or unfairly gets put on the quarterback. It's true. You know, and Eli Manning's a good quarterback. He's not, I think what this has shown more than anything else is that he's not at a level where he can compensate for deficiencies elsewhere in the offense, a la Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, you know, a quarterback like that. To me, that's been the most telltale part of this season. And I know Anthony Pusick back there had uh, had some numbers for us. Anthony, what uh, what were you saying to, yeah, to Pat. Chris earlier? Well, when you take a look at it, Eli Manning's got the best completion percentage in his career, and he's got the third best QBR in his years as a quarterback. And the other two, he won the Super Bowl. Now, I know the offensive line's been pretty bad for the Giants this year, so that's why you see Eli making the bad decisions that he's been making over the last three years. And you can't take it all to injuries, but the Giants' O-line hasn't been healthy for about three years. The Sean O'Hara days are over. Chris Snee, David Deal, they're all gone. And they're still trying to find a way to compensate for that, like you said. And he's not Peyton. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Tom Brady. He can't win games single-handedly on his own. Uh, obviously, Eli's getting older, and his best years could be behind him. But to say that Eli is the reason for the Giants losing this year, uh, certainly not. All right, I'll agree with that. I'd say he's not losing, but I'll pose one more question to you, Anthony, back there, Sean. If you, one of you wants to jump on the mic, is he an average quarterback at this very moment, or is he a, above average? Do you give him the credit of above average quarterback? I'd still say he's year? above average. I would take him over most quarterbacks in the league, not top five, but I would take him. Joe Marie shaking his head no, but that's okay. Uh, he remembers the Super Bowls. I like democracy. I like getting everybody involved. Can we get Joe Marie's? Can we get his mic on? It seems like he's got an opinion on Eli Manning. Let's let the man share it. All right, Joe Marie, where do you stand on the Eli Manning situation? You know, I, I feel for Eli Manning. Like Pusick says, I'm a Patriots fan who has had my heart torn out twice by the guy and seen him play well behind a competent offensive line. Agreed. That being said, he makes very bad decisions. On a lot of those interceptions, he needs to be throwing the ball away. Eli Manning constantly makes mistakes that hurts the team outside of what the offensive line is doing. Granted, they're not playing well. He's making them look worse. I think Eli Manning's probably the 12th or 13th best quarterback in the NFL, unless he's hot, in which case, as we've seen in the past, he immediately jumps up to one of those top five guys. But I think for the Giants, your window to win with Eli Manning is closing shutly. And uh, like you've been mentioning all day, Odell Beckham's making him look pretty good right now, but I don't know how much longer that can continue for. I agree. I think Joe Murray brings up some great points right there. I agree 100%. And I also don't know enough about Ryan Nassib, the guy from Syracuse, to argue either way whether or not that's going to be the guy for the future. I guess one last thing I can bring up before we wrap stuff up with the Giants, just because it's what the papers around here have been chiming about, the Daily News, the Post, and that's Tom Coughlin and his position. I mean, it's not uncommon to hear about the chipper and the, the talk about Tom Coughlin being on his way out. The guy deserves a lot of credit. I mean, he Absolutely. helped this team win two Super Bowls with the New York Giants against, you know, the Patriots, which I know you two, Pat Burns, Joe, I know as Patriots fans, you guys remember all too well. But at some point, is this maybe the Giants just completely turn the page, move on from Eli, move on from Tom Coughlin, and do they start with a clean slate and kind of just hit the refresh button pretty soon? I think it's getting close. I think it's more of a possibility that we see Coughlin go after this year. I think Eli will be around beyond this year but I wouldn't be surprised if Coughlin I don't know that they would outright fire him they may give him the opportunity to retire and and kind of step down I mean he's been there this is his I think his 10th 11th season as the coach of the Giants he got there in 04 you know so he's built up quite a career there and obviously had success with the two Super Bowls but you know I mean this is 
the third time I can remember since he's gotten there that that people have been consistently calling for his job. You had the two Super Bowl years, and now you have this year. And, I I mean, it gets to a point where, I mean, he's clearly not going to – the result at the end of this year clearly isn't going to be the same as it was in those previous two years, and he was going to be gone if if the result was really anything less than what it ended up being. So, I don't know. I think – I think he could be he could be on the way out. Yeah, I agree as well. And and I do hope it ends in a situation where when the Eli Manning, when the Tom Coughlin days are done, I hope it ends on a positive note. I bring that up just in terms of Tiki Barber. There has been a giant who has tainted the water just a touch when he left his days with the New York Giants. I don't anticipate Tom Coughlin leaving on a bad note. I think he'll I don't leave either. and Eli will when it eventually happens, will leave on a good note. And you know what? Let's move it on. I was gonna, I was gonna stick with the Giants. It's time. I gotta push the envelope. New York Jets time. Let's let's talk about those J E T S guys. The music always gets me because the bumper happens. We do the J E T S, and then the the trumpets and the brass comes in. And it's just very intense. Riles me up. It is intense. But uh, all right, Pat. Before we jump in on the Jets, I heard a tease from her. Kelly Coltis told me that this is an interesting Jets report. So I say because it's an interesting Jets report, we kick it off with the Jets report, and then we'll touch, give our take on the situation. The Jets once again found another way to lose in typical Jets fashion against the Vikings. The game started on a bad note as Geno Smith threw a pick six early on. After that, the Jets rallied somehow to tie it on a Nick Folk field goal with just about 20 seconds to go in the game. Still, once overtime hit, it was the same old Jets all over again. A screen pass from Teddy Bridgewater to Jarius Wright was all it took for the game to be over and the Vikings to win 30-24. Wright took it 87 yards to the house on a play that was eerily similar to the Victor Cruz 99-yard touchdown in the Jets-Giants game on Christmas Eve 2011. That was Kenny Albert on the call for Fox Sports. And that play was the start of the Jets' demise, and they haven't been the same since. Ironically, the Jets are playing the team this week that the Giants beat down last week. Giants demolished Tennessee 36-7, and because of that, the Jets are favored this week for the first time in a long time. Still, the Jets may win this one, mainly because Chris Johnson might just take over the game because he feels he has something to prove against his old team. However, I just in my right mind cannot select them to win. Yes, Zach Mettenberger has been bad, but so has Geno Smith. The Jets' defense is statistically ranked in the top 10 of the league, but they have had a bad secondary and have been known to give up the big play. I think this is an ugly game with the Titans coming out ahead 27-26. It's a matchup of two 2-11 two squads, and there's nothing pretty to see here. With the... I'm Kelly Coltis, WFUV Sports. Well, it was interesting. Zach Mettenberger, out for the season. Kelly yep. used a Giants call in her Jets report, and... Overall, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard anybody do one of these reports and sound more fed up. I mean, the tone in her voice was just like, I'm sick of this New York Jets team. This is awful. I'm a Jets fan. I go to these games as both a fan, but when I'm with the media, I still have to watch it. I mean, she's supposedly also sick. I think she's using that as a cloud. 
I mean, I've I've seen Kelly at some of her worst days, she's and hard she sick. hasn't even sounded that bad. I think she's she's trying to say like, no, I'm sick. That's why I sound like this. But she can't bring herself to have any energy or emotion because the New York Jets have sucked that out of her at this point. She's heart sick. The Jets have just they've completely demolished her at this point. Yeah, this, I'm, this I mean, the way to put it. I feel for this Jets team, but maybe it's just because before the season started, I said to Kelly when she was, you know, hey, Kelly, you're covering the New York Jets. It's cool. Fist bumps. You know, it's what we do around here. I said, I think this Jets team has a chance to be pretty good. I think, you know, and I'm an idiot, so I'll bring this up. I was like, I think the Patriots with an aging Tom Brady aren't, they're not going to be the same, and they clearly haven't. I'm intelligent by saying that, but yeah, the Patriots have been good. I said, oh, the Bills aren't a very good team. They'll be trash, and the Bills have tortured the Jets, and the Dolphins' defense has been good. The Jets have been the worst team in the division. I didn't think they were going to be it before the year started, but they are. And they're now in a point where they're competing with three other teams, including, at least I think, yeah, I'm, I'm actually confident on this now, they're competing with three teams for the top pick in the NFL draft. Four teams? Is there is there five teams at 2-11? and 11? Wow, I thought there was four. Tampa Bay is one of them as well. Tampa Bay is also a 2-11 and 11 team yep. that I'm missing out on this. Geez, so you've got five teams right now at 2-11 and 11 competing for the first to pick. Is this a Jets-Titans game where we see both these teams trying to lose? I mean, it could be one of those things where, I mean, you see these guys, like, taking a knee, I mean, with the first snap of the game, just trying to punt the ball back and forth. If that's the case, count me out, because that will make for maybe the least compelling football game of all time. But, um, I mean, given where these two teams are, I mean, it at least enters the realm of possibility. I mean, this is just, this is an unfortunate game to have to, for some people to have to watch. It really is an unfortunate game for some of us to have to watch, but I will say this. If the Jets even get a high pick in this draft, there's still so much uncertainty in the sense of, one, what's going to happen to Rex Ryan? In the other? I mean, before we get to the NFL draft, what's going to happen to Rex Ryan? What's going to happen to John Idzik? What's going to happen to Geno Smith? What's going to happen to Michael Vick? There's so many uncertainties with this New York Jets team. I mean, I guess Vick will still around a little while longer but Geno Smith has got to be on his way out and he's got to be on his way out pretty fast at least I'm of that mindset I mean he had his two years or he's getting close to having his two years and they've been pretty awful Rex Ryan has I mean at this point I think he's done I think it's known and he's been done for a while the rumors that you read in the daily news and the post say he it's a certainty he's pretty much done does Idzik politely step down or does that get messy with Woody Johnson I mean ugh. To me, that's the more interesting one because I think we can all agree at this point that that Rex Ryan is on his way out. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been we've speculated over the course of the season whether he would get fired before the season ended or if they'll wait until after. At this point, I mean, they haven't fired him to this point, so it looks like they're going to wait until after. But as far as Idzik goes, I think they should let him go too. As far as what they will do. The question with him is he hasn't gotten a chance to hire his own coach. He inherited Rex Ryan when he took the job. Rex Ryan wasn't his guy. And I think that's been made clear a couple times over the course of, you know, the past season plus. So does Idzik get that chance from Woody Johnson to hire his own guy? I don't know. I don't think he should, but who knows with how things are going over there. I got something interesting for you, and it might not happen just because Jim Harbaugh's been linked to the Oakland Raiders, but... What if Jim Harbaugh becomes free, gets picked up by the Jets, 
And I point this out, too, is look what Jim Harbaugh was able to do, at least at first, with Colin Kaepernick, somebody who wasn't a top draft pick in the draft. I mean, could Jim Harbaugh maybe inherit the reins of this Jets team, find himself a quarterback in the draft, and, geez, who knows, maybe turn this ship around and turn it around kind of quickly? This has actually been discussed in circles in New England when we, when it's you know, the discussion is centered around how bad the, the AFC East still, you mm-hmm. know, kind of is, at least in relation to the Jets. And Harbaugh to the Jets, I think, would just be so compelling. And the one thing is, it seems like Harbaugh is the type of guy that at this point is going to want complete control, mm-hmm. kind of like a Bill Belichick. He's going to want the GM position as well as the coaching position. So in that case, Idzik would probably have to leave. But... That would be so compelling and so interesting. I, as a Patriots fan, would even enjoy it. I would like to see some more competition in this division for for New England. And Jim Harbaugh, to me, totally livens up that division and makes it infinitely more interesting going forward, if it, that were to happen. No, it, it really does. Absolutely does. And, I mean, look at the Bills. You look at the Dolphins. They're just two teams that they're not compelling. And they're not bad. They're 7-6. and six. They're still they're hanging around. You know, hanging around for a playoff position. But they're not compelling teams. And, you know, it sounds pretentious with you being a Patriots fan. So, I guess even somebody who's not a Patriots fan can say. I mean, for the Patriots, you're right. I mean, they look at these three teams. The Patriots are just so much better than these three teams. And better run, better coach, just better all the way around. Yeah, and not to get off on a Patriots tangent here, but... You could make the argument that the reason that they haven't had as much playoff success recently as, you know, they have in the past and they've lost to teams like, you know, Baltimore is a good example, the Giants and the two Super Bowls, is that they haven't been as battle-tested as some of those teams. The Baltimore Ravens, you know, when they lost to them in the, in the AFC Championship game two years ago, when, they, when it took a missed field goal for them to beat them the year before in the same game, the Baltimore Ravens were coming out of division out of a division where they got beat up by the Pittsburgh Steelers twice a year and this a Cincinnati Bengals team that, you know, was at least competitive, you know. The Patriots haven't had that for over a decade really at this point. You know, the the Jets were had that little peak in, you know, 2009-2010, but other than that, they really haven't been challenged, and I think that's really hurt them come playoff time when they've had to go up against some of these more battle-tested tougher teams and I think you know adding a guy like Jim Harbaugh who brings that edge who brings that you know that competitive fire and has proven that he can build a team I think that changes the game completely and I think ultimately it could even be better for a team like New England going forward no I agree I think it's a very interesting point and yeah I mean it'll be interesting to see we'll have to keep looking at this point I'll just finish off the Jets by saying if there's any compelling reason to watch the Jets Titans game I'll bring up the fact that the Jets-Vikings game was actually, from a weirdly awful football perspective, a fun game to watch to how all of that ended up shaping up. All right, enough with the Jets. It's time for Joe Marie to help out mine and hopefully your fantasy football team. It's time for some fantasy football talk. Who are the best picks around the NFL? Plus, start them and sit them to help you win your league. So, Joe, my fantasy football team is awful. It's bad. We have a prize for the person who finishes last in our fantasy football league. And it's doubly awful because I'm the commissioner. And I'm poised at this very moment to finish last and, and win our last 
placed prize. So I'm going to turn to you, and I'll just let you, because your fantasy knowledge has to be superior to mine. What are some of the things that you know could help me or maybe some of the other listeners out? Well, the important thing to remember around playoff time is that not everything is going to make sense. You look at last week, you know, Peyton Manning was terrible. So you need to find a guy that's likely to be hot for one week at a time and go from there. And it doesn't sound like you're in the playoffs, but we got to keep you out of last place. Because mm-hmm. I, I hope it's not a tattoo that the prize is. It's not a tattoo. It's not that bad. I've seen some pretty awful ones. So let's talk about um, some guys that are going to be up and then some guys that you need to avoid. Okay. We've talked a lot about him today. I think Eli Mann is going to be up. He's up against a Redskins team that is fast becoming the biggest laughing stock in recent memory. Um, it's not bad enough that they're just losing. Their franchise is embroiled in some controversy over their name, their quarterback, their owner. Not a lot of fun to be there. Manning put up 40 fantasy points against him in week four. Torched them. Just killed him. And again, Odell Beckham Jr. is still on the team. He's an exciting playmaker. Every time he touches the ball, it might be a touchdown. He's the kind of guy, Manning, that's not a guy that I would play all season, but for one week to try and get you out of last place, absolutely. Um, another a running back to look at is Jonathan Stewart. Um, the NFC South is a division that we haven't mentioned a lot today, but it's terrible. With good it, reason. It's unbelievable. We're trying to avoid talking about it, but it is. It's so bad. But Jonathan Stewart had a strong week 14. He racked up 155 yards and a touchdown against the Saints. D'Angelo Williams is probably still going to be able to have hand injury. He's up against the Buccaneers, who have been quietly terrible, which is a better way to be than, say, the Jets. But they have been quietly very, very bad, and they've given up double-digit fantasy points to 13 out of 14 backs they've played against. Jonathan Stewart is a safe bet, especially considering the fact that Cam Newton, where thankfully he's okay, will probably be missing this game. Um, you know, I think they've gone out and said that Derek Anderson's going to start, but in reality they're going to be handing the ball off a lot. Um, the third guy that I would look to for a big boost is Roddy White. Um, the Falcons' defense was as bad as ever against the Packers, but their offense looked good. They turned it into a shootout. They came back, made it an interesting game. Julio Jones is questionable, hasn't practiced all week. Um, the Steelers' secondary, who they're playing this Sunday, pretty suspect. In the past four games, Roddy White's either had 90 yards receiving or a touchdown. He's not going to probably break the bank this week, but I could see him putting up some solid numbers. Um, Pat, what about you? Do you have any particular fantasy questions before we move to the, the three guys who are not going to have good weeks? Uh, I would just like to say I, I'm not as bad off as, as Chris over here, <laughs> but um, I am the commissioner of my league as well. I am not in contention to finish in last place. I did barely make the playoffs, but I am the definition of, of mediocre right now. Um, so I'm not really playing for anything, but um, I guess – Something maybe going forward. Vernon Davis was my starting tight end for most of the year. I don't want to talk about it. And (laughs) he has been a disappearing act pretty much all season. Do you see that looking up, whether it's the end of this season, whether it's going forward, you know, do you see him improving? I mean, we know what he's capable of. Is, Is there any way he gets better than this? I don't know what to tell you with either Vernon Davis and Frank Gore. Vernon Davis right now is projected to pick up two fantasy points against the Seahawks. He's kind of been written out of the offense in in, yeah. um, in San Fran, and reporters have been mentioning it all week. Uh, there's a lot of things wrong there, too. Vernon Davis is athletically still exceptionally. He's an exceptional tight end. I don't think he's obviously he's not upper echelon, but he's a good second-tier tight end. I don't know what to tell you. He could come out this week and score you know, 30 points, or he could come out and more likely than that have none. I think Vernon Davis 
is an intriguing guy, but until San Fran sorts out whatever is wrong in their front office, stay away from him. Um, transitioning off of that in terms of guys who are going to have bad weeks, three players who are down. Colin Kaepernick um, struggled against the Raiders, and now he's playing the Seahawks. Yeah, his stock just keeps going Plummeting. down. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't had more than 15 fantasy points since week six. Stay away from him. Um, another guy who might look good on paper, but I don't think is going to have a good week is Lamar Miller. You know, he, he had a great game against the Patriots in week one. He ran for 124 yards uh, and two touchdowns. But now you're in New England, and now it's December, and the Patriots are an entirely different team. Um, he hasn't had more than 20 touches in a, a, a game except for the first time they played the Patriots. And the Pats front seven hasn't let up a touchdown in four games. So stay away from Lamar Miller. They've been sneaky good against the run. The, the strength of that defense, that New England defense, is the secondary. We all know yeah. that. But they've been pretty solid against the run of late. Yeah, they got uh, defensive lineman Seaver Silga back, uh, the big Hawaiian, um, the big guy with the crazy hair. And he was pushing people around. I think their defensive linemen and Vince Wilfork and Silga are more mobile than you'd think. Vince Wilfork can dunk a basketball, which is uh, <laughs> one of my favorite pieces of trivia. Um, the third guy, who you might not even know who he is, but Michael Rivera, the Oakland tight end, who gashed the 49ers for 109 yards and a touchdown. I think he's a one-and-done performance. Um, he's up against the Chiefs, who are pretty solid defensively. They haven't let up more than six fantasy points to a tight end since week six. In addition, he plays for the Raiders. I don't yeah. trust anyone on the team. So, you know, I think fantasy-wise, this is an exciting part of the year because there's a lot of chance. Um, you can't definitively guarantee that anyone's going to play well right now. It's going to be uh, it's going to be intriguing. So, Chris, what any are there any players that you're agonizing over? Start, sit, um, any guys you're really worried about hurting you this week? So the way things work in our league is our playoffs are two weeks. It's an eight-player league. It's just the friends from home. Mm-hmm. So the l- first week of our like two-week round one bout was last week, and the kid I'm going up against who was last in our fantasy league dropped more points than had been dropped in a single week in our entire year. My goodness. <laughs> oh, because, of course, he did. <laughs> so I'm already basically relegated into the last game. I guess for me, a couple things. Um, should I keep believing in Tom Brady? I think that's a simple question, but he's somebody I've been starting all year. Is there anybody that the Patriots have coming up in the last two weeks that I should really be worried about Tom Brady as my starter? I don't think so. These are division matchup for the Patriots. Um, Miami had a very effective pass for us last time against the Patriots. But like we said, it's an entirely different Patriots team. The offensive lines plays improved. He's more on the same page as the receiving targets. Rob Gronkowski's fully healthy. I think the Jets um, in week 16 presents a unique issue because it's Rex Ryan against the Patriots. He always dials up something exciting, and he's still got a lot of talented guys on that D-line. That being said, their secondary is still terrible. Atrocious. Just awful um the bills have more talent than you'd think but tom brady is now 24 and 2 against the bills which is mind-numbing it's just you know how do you let one guy beat you that badly and the bills haven't they've, they've had some talent they have some talent this year um i would i would stick with tom brady to the end sounds good, i think yeah. he's put together a pretty good body work pat what about you uh in terms of other questions i i'm out i don't have any more well that's good i mean <laughs> I uh, I'm, I'm basically right? I've moved on to next year. Like I can't even win the distinction of uh, being last in my league anymore. So <laughs> I, we, need, uh, we need some guys hosting the show that are good at fantasy football I know. with like real teams to pose you real questions. Every time I've talked to anyone hosting, it's been the same story. I'm in last. I'm in second to last. So you know maybe those guys who are the reason they're not hosting, they're, they're scouting for fantasy. 
this is their fantasy time, but <laughs> they're doing their homework. All right, <laughs> enough with questions, enough with fantasy. <laughs> Joe, you're gonna stick around with us. Let's do some picks. Let's look into the crystal ball for some weekly NFL predictions. Getting fired up? I am. I'm just, all right, now I go. I get the finger point. I was waiting for the finger point in the back. I'm pretty fired up, although I'm not fired up about the first two games we're making picks for. Up first, Washington at the New York Giants. Uh, I'll just go first with this one. I think the Giants are going to win. They're at home. The Redskins team is a complete disgrace with so much chaos. The Giants are going to win it. I agree with you. Giants at home, if for no other reason, then I just don't trust Washington at all. Giants and a laughter. What we got in the back? We got Sean. We got Anthony. Could be all New York back here. I'm going with the Giants. Amen. All right. Five for five, picking the New York Giants. Keep it rolling. Jets at Tennessee. This actually is a difficult game to choose yeah. a winner, which is sad because both those teams are so very bad. I'm going to say Tennessee just based on the fact that they're at home. Yeah, same. I tend to lean towards the home team in these types of games. I'll take Tennessee. I think Tennessee is even worse than the Jets. I'm going to take that Jets pass rush to get them a victory. Though I'm not sure they want to win. <laughs> I'm with Joe Murray here. I'm going with the Jets. I'm going to go with the Jets, but doesn't that mean Tennessee wins? Because then they get Marcus Mariota? Basically, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good way to look at it. All right, now we got some interesting ones. Denver at San Diego. A great game. Going to be a fun one to watch and a difficult one to pick. I'm not as big of a believer in San Diego as some people are. I say Denver wins, even though it's on the road. I, I'll go with the unpopular pick, I think, and take San Diego in this one. San Diego did a great job of stopping uh, LeGarrette Blunt, New England's running attack last week, and that's what Denver's been leaning on lately. I think uh, I think Peyton Manning's going to have to throw a lot more than he has in recent weeks, and I mean, I think this year more than any other, we've seen his throwing ability really, really diminish. I'll take San Diego in an upset at home. I'm with you, Pat. I think uh, Peyton Manning's struggling a little bit. I like San Diego. I like the way they played against the Patriots. Give me San Diego. Phillip Rivers all day. San Diego it is. Peyton Manning goes into San Diego and gets it done. I'm going with Denver. Wow. Split on that one. That's a good split. That's a good split. All right, next, San Francisco at Seattle. The line on this game is 10, 10 and a half points in favor of Seattle. Which, wow. Going back to our earlier point about San Francisco, tells you a lot. So San Francisco has to travel to Seattle. It's tough because Seattle's playing so well. How do you pick against Seattle? I say Seahawks. To me, this is a no-brainer based on the way Seattle's come on and the way San Francisco has just been continuing to spiral downward in Seattle. The Seahawks, but San Fran will cover the spread. Ten and a half is a little much. I'm going with Seattle at home here. I know that San Francisco hasn't been playing well, but these two always get up well to play with against one another. I got the Legion of Boom, but like Joe said, it's going to be close. Wow. I'm a little surprised by some of your guys' picks. All right. I don't think it's going to be that close. Move on. Dallas, Philadelphia, a very, very good game with unbelievable division implications on it. This is one of those games where I'm just going to stick with the home team. I know Mark Sanchez is the quarterback for Philly, but I like Philadelphia winning this one. I do, too. I like Philly at home, and, I mean, to me, this game basically decides the division. I think Philly wins this and the division. I do not trust Mark Sanchez. Give me Tony Romo. Dallas. I think it's going to be a bit of a Thanksgiving repeat here. Philly. Tony Romo, December woes start now. Give me Philly. All right, so Joe Marie in the minority a little bit there. 
Now it's my favorite part of the show. It's when we pick our upsets, and I mean, throughout the weeks, we have some off-the-wall upsets when we're choosing these. I don't think mine is that crazy, although it's a little bit crazy. I guess that's why it's an upset. The spread is somewhere, I'm looking at a couple different sites, between 7 and 9. It's Miami at New England. I'm going to take Miami because that defense has shown flashes of being pretty good. I could see this being one of those games New England has the hiccup. Belichick and Brady come in and say we're going to refocus, and then they trash the rest of the league through the beginning of the playoffs. Not a bad pick. I don't think that will happen at home. I don't think that will happen in New England at home. (laughs) Mine's going to be, I'm surprised the line is this big, six and a half. I'm going to take Houston over Indianapolis. The game's in Indy. Like I said, I'm surprised at how big that line is, but... um, Yeah, I'm going to go with Houston. Keeping it in the AFC East, I like the Bills over the Packers. Packers secondary. Packers secondary is suspect. Bills have young talent, and they're not playing at Lambeau for the first time in what feels like forever. That's true. Going to Buffalo is going to be tough. I like that pick, Joe. All right, guys in the back, what do we got for some upsets? I think Ryan Tannehill is going to light up Foxborough. Miami over the Patriots. Wow, I like somebody agreeing with me. like it, Sean. Airing on the side of caution here, the Newtonless Carolina Panthers are a three-point favorite. I got Tampa Bay winning that game. You have Tampa Bay winning that game? And, I do. Wow, NFC South get even nuttier. Tampa Bay winning that game. God, I, I guess we'll do it. We have to do it. The NFC South. Whoever wins that division, what do you think their record's going to be? I would. I mean, I'm in favor of it. I would love to see a guy 6-10, and 10, maybe 7-9 and nine win that division. But I think that's atrocious, and I think it's even more atrocious that that team is going to host a playoff game. But uh, Atlanta's leading it right now at, uh, I, I don't know offhand what their record is, but I think they technically lead it right now. Five and eight is, uh, is their record. I just, I, I know New Orleans is right there. Right now, this is so hard to pick, uh, just because everybody's so bad. Uh, I'll, I'll say New Orleans, but I don't feel confident in that at all. I know it's not going to happen, but a dream scenario for me in the NFC South, before I wrap things up, Tampa Bay wins out, wins the division, and Josh McCowan wins a football game before retiring into the sunset. I think that would be hilarious. Tampa Bay is still alive in the race for this division. Which is fantastic. Unbelievable. A 2-11 and team. All of the teams with more wins just scratching their heads. Why couldn't we be in the NFC South? If you're the Rams, why couldn't we be in the NFC South? We'd be winning the freaking division. and We wouldn't have to play the Cardinals, the Seahawks, and I guess the Niners too. All right. Well, I guess it's about that time. I wish we had a little more outro music, but I guess that comes up secondary. I'm Chris Venezia. Special thanks to Joe Marie, doing his best to help out my fantasy team for Pat Burns, my partner in crime. Anthony Pusick and Sean Hayner doing their thing in the back. It's been great to have you aboard. Thanks for listening. Make sure to tune in next week when you get a little less Cardinals bias and probably a little more NFC, AFC East bias. Appreciate you listening. Make sure to tune in next week. This has been One-on-One's NFL Friday, only on WFUVsports.org. Join us next week as we take you around the NFL. We'll see you then.